Welcome back to the Male Feminism Podcast with your host, Joshua Rojas. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you my thoughts on feminism. I also wanted to mention that I recently created a Discord server for you to join if you would like to be a part of the discussion for future episodes, feminism studies, or just any other type of intellectual talk. The link will be in the description below. Now let's get started. Today, I'm very excited for our podcast episode, but before we get to that, I wanted to mention that the purpose of this podcast is to understand the root causes of gender inequality and know how to take actionable steps to tackle them. Now, to formally introduce our guest, she's the department chair of gender studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, UNC, former faculty member or formal faculty fellow at the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at UNC, former research fellow with the Latino Research Initiative at the University of Texas at Austin. Furthermore, she obtained her PhD from Cornell in English. Also, she's a writer of three pivotal books, three pivotal books in the Gender Studies and Latina Latino Communities, Public Negotiations, Gender and Journalism in Contemporary U.S. Latina Latino Literature, Understanding Francisco Goldman, and War Echoes, Gender and Militarization in U.S. Latina Latino Cultural Productions. She is the wonderful Dr. Vigil. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you doing? It's pretty. I'm doing great myself. It's uh, it's pretty nice um, outside, especially in the summer. That's what rare have, for us. Yeah. <laughs> How have you been doing the summer? Um, pretty good. Yeah. It's you know, summer always goes by too quickly for anybody who is on an academic schedule, but it's been it's been mostly very good. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> The link to her website and Twitter will be posted in the description below. You would like to go follow her content. Now, this isn't related to the podcast, but I wanted to mention that I was going through your website and you reminded me of my mom because like if she was ever to have a website, she would put like some food that she's interested in. (laughs) (laughs) I do Uh, do food. Yeah, that happens a lot in... uh, in Mexican families, my mom likes to always tell me about uh, what food she's craving. And then that's usually <laughs> what we have for dinner, just whatever she wants. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Is that what happens in your family? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I'm probably the most food obsessed in my family. I'm also particular because I'm vegan. And so I've had to work to, you know, sort of veganize a lot of traditional, um, you know, Latino foods. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, I was going through, um, what's it called, your website, and I saw a lot of vegan desserts. That was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have, in recent years, I've tried to cut back on, on my sugar intake, but I do. Oh, okay. I do. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> That's pretty cool, nonetheless. It's pretty cool, nonetheless. Okay, now let's get started with the questions. Why do you think it is so important to see things through the lenses of race, class, sex, and gender? Great. So the way I think about this question is it sounds like the question is sort of about intersectionality. So I'm assuming that you're familiar with that term, but if other aren't. So intersectionality is a foundational concept and theory Um, within contemporary feminism and certainly within um, women of color and and Latinx feminism that says that um, these things that you've mentioned, race, class, sex, gender, uh, we could even add more to that, like nationality, um, 
what else might we add, we add um, ability or disability are inextricably connected and cannot be separated. And so what this means is that I myself as a Latina woman, I cannot separate the parts of me that are Latina from the parts of me that are a woman, right? There's no, there's no like taking out my Latina parts and just being a woman, right? Those things are constructed together. Um, and so for me, you know, um, as a Latina feminist researcher, I need to be thinking about all of these things at the same time, um, looking at their impact. And so just because we, you know, aren't talking about something or aren't recognizing its impact doesn't mean that it's not having an impact. So, you know, class is often um, operating, I think, you know, at a sort of less visible level. Um, and that's not to say that all of these things are having like the same impact at the same time, right? Or like the same, um, the same amount of impact. So I, it, it could be that race is more salient in a particular moment, right? So if I am teaching a class on Latina literature, then maybe race is a more salient topic at that moment than class, even though class is still a part of that, um, a part of that topic. So for me, you know, again, I would say that thinking about all of these things simultaneously, understanding that we can't separate them, understanding that they are operating, they are impacting our life. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that I don't ever tell my students how these things impact our life. So I'm, I'm not saying that sex is always negatively impacting you or that gender is always negatively impacting you, but that it is having an impact on your life. And it is empowering and important to be able to recognize it and name it. Okay. And so how does looking at it from this lens, as opposed to not saying at all, change the way we look at things? Like I understand, okay, yes, there's a difference, but then why do we need to know this difference? Yeah. So I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, so I just, you know, ended by saying that I, you know, um, to say that race is important or that or that sex or gender is important is not to say that it's always having a negative impact um, on someone's experience. However, that being said, in our in our current moment, in our current society, it is true that um, race often, um, you know, race is often related to racial inequality, right? Um, and one's gender experiences are often related to gender inequality. So in that sense, in order to be able to transform the society, if we want to create a more a more just world, a more equal world, we have to be able to identify the problems that we're dealing with. So how can we possibly, you know, tackle sexism if we can't name it, if we can't see it, if we can't understand when it's operating? So I think that's the first step. Um, and I think that's a lot of, you know, people who are sort of discovering, I think in particular feminism or feminist activism, a lot of times it's realizing just how much sexism has been operating in their life, right? Realizing, you know, how much, you know, they were treated in a particular way according to their um, assigned gender or their gender identity. So again, so I guess we have to recognize um, the inequalities that are around us in order to try to transform them and dismantle them. Oh, okay, that's understandable. And then race would go with the racism, class, mm -hmm. et cetera. Okay, that's pretty understandable. And so um, if we, okay, so I understand that if we're allowed to see society from these ways, surely this can't be enough to tackle gender inequality or rate, uh, what's it called? racial discrimination. 
So what's that next step that we need to do or next few steps that we need to do after we see from this, these different lenses? Oh my gosh. So that, so that is a harder question to answer, right? Because I think that question depends on who's answering it and what they're doing. So we'll, we'll just maybe take you and I for now. So you yourself, I think um, it seems like you're trying to answer that question and you're trying to tackle sexism by having this podcast, right? Um, and by talking with, uh, you know, feminists and talking about gender inequality. So I think that might be I don't, mean to, I don't want to speak for you, but I think that might be one way that you're contributing. I think, but I think the bigger question, the bigger answer is sort of, you do what you can, right? You look around your life and you say, here's what I'm able to do. Um, let me give you a couple more examples from my, just from my life and my, my work and my research. So I try to uplift the voices of women of color, the, the, the voices of writers of color and scholars of color. So when I do research, you know, I work on contemporary, Latinx literature, primarily literature written by women. Um, and those women, those writers often receive less attention, both in the academy as well as in just like the popular press. So that's one example of me trying to um, tackle inequality, to uplift marginalized voices. Um, and that happens in scholarship as well, to teach those writers um, to, yeah, to, to try to you know, give them more attention. In the classroom, that also means I try to be sensitive and promote the experiences of my students of color, right? To have, you know, me as a professor in the classroom, try to provide somebody who looks like them, who understands their experiences, who can speak with them openly about some of the experiences they might have, whether that's in school or family. So that's an example of me trying to um, yeah, just just be sensitive to where people are coming from, affirm them, and um, listen to them. But I think I think that's a great question. I think the question is sort of you know how do we how do we move forward? And I think the answer is um, I think everybody can answer that question for themselves in terms of thinking about what are they able to do, what are their skills, what are they interested in doing, and what can their small or large contribution be. Oh, okay, that's understandable. And so why, why does this matter so much to you? Why do you want to impact the people of color? Was there an experience that you had? Yeah, um, that's a harder question. You know, um, I think I, I somewhat fell into what I do. So I always loved reading and writing. Those were definitely my skills as a student. And I, so I excelled in those um, and I was always interested. I don't really know why, I mean, I think I can guess sort of why, but I was sort of always drawn to, I think sort of like what you were telling me, like questions of injustice and trying to, you know, work towards equity, particularly around race um, and gender and sexuality. And so for me, I found a line of work where I get to combine those, right? Where I, I essentially get to read and write and talk about, inequality and try to promote a more just world in my life. In terms of my own experiences, I like a lot of Latinas and, and I think students of color didn't really see myself reflected in my educational environment. So, you know, by sort of default, the, the education that we tend to receive in, you know, elementary and high school is primarily, you know, from a Euro European perspective. Um, I don't, it's been a long time since I've been in high school, so I don't know how much that has changed. Maybe you could tell me, but my hunch is it hasn't changed a drastic amount. Um, and so when I was given the opportunity 
in college to learn more about uh, you know, Latino people, Latino history, I was drawn to it. Obviously it mattered to me. It was my history and it was a history that I had less access to, but that I very much related to. So things sort of made sense to me, like why my family, um, you know, like our access to language, like who spoke Spanish and who didn't and how that is related to Latino history and to discrimination in this country. So those are experiences that I had that I was able to, I experienced the transformative power of having you know faculty who looked like me and being able to study feminism and Latinx studies. And so that inspired me to, to keep doing it. I, I like doing it. I, I guess I'm okay. I'm pretty good at it at this point. So I'm grateful that I get to keep doing that. And so going back to my question of why, so I'm assuming you also wanna pay it forward with mm -hmm. your experience of having, um, what's it called? mentors that were of the same color and I guess also sex? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I'll say a little bit more about sort of like feminism and then, and then also women of color feminism. So I actually had, when I was in college there, I, I went to the Ohio State University um, in Columbus, Ohio in the late 90s, early 2000s. And there wasn't much in the way of Latinx studies. So it was just sort of getting off the ground um, like the first few courses were being offered. And so I tended to take courses in African-American feminism and African-American literature because that seemed to be sort of more close to, um, yeah, th those were courses that talked about race and class and gender in ways that I understood and, and valued. So the mentors that I had were actually black feminist mentors um, who guided me and who helped me on my first research projects and also um, queer white mentors. Um, and I was also very much drawn to gay and lesbian literature for many of the same reasons. So I just wanna say that I was mentored by a broad swath of people, um, including you know later Latina mentors. Um, in terms of also sort of like the eye-opening about thinking about sexism, I think, yeah, learning about like sexist experiences, um, having my own experiences validated was was really impactful. I'll, I'll give a, a sort of common example from, from college. I remember in college, um, I had a job at, at this thing that no longer exists, which was called a computer lab. <laughs> when student before everybody had a, their own personal computer, you had to go and you know work at a collective computer lab. And I remember speaking to my coworker who was also a, a Latina woman. And we talked about how we walked home from work, right? We talked about what was the path, how we walked from the lab, if we got off work at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., how we got to our apartments? And the answer was, you know, we took well-lit streets. Well, the first answer was we thought a lot about it, right? We took, we had very clear, intentional routes that we would walk that would avoid walking um, in dark alleys, that would avoid walking in places that we um, deemed dangerous. And in speaking to male coworkers, we learned that they never had those conversations. They never had that those thoughts um, amongst themselves. They were not worried about their physical safety in the way that we were worried about our physical safety. And they did, they literally did not change their walking path. So we walked farther, right, to get home in a safer manner. And that's just an experience, that's just an example of, of how sexism impacted, you know, and you know, violence against women and the threat of violence against women impacted my life and didn't impact the life of my male coworkers in ways that they don't. They didn't even realize, right? They didn't. They weren't even thinking about the things that they weren't doing to stay safe. Um, and so, yeah, that, I guess that's just an example of how 
I found my own experiences as a woman and I found in feminist course material, the language to describe that and to talk about it and to name that, that is, you know, that's sexism. That's a response to a society that has an um, epidemic of violence against women. And that's what it looks like. Oh, okay. So what you learned in the, cl- in the class, you applied to your real life and you got to see um, just, I guess, how real the, what's it called? The difference in uh, races and sexes, like the, the differences that, of the realities between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also like affirming what I, what I knew to be true, but maybe didn't have the language to express. Oh, okay. That's understandable. And that's understandable. And so why do you think, well, building off of that, why do you think learning gender studies is important, even if it's just like a few classes and for yeah. both males and females? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, and for trans folks as well, right? So I think gender studies is a really unique field. Um, um, and here I think a little bit about gender studies and, and ethnic studies as well, right? So ethnic studies, like the fields like Asian American studies, indigenous studies, African-American studies, and Latinx studies. So these are fields that came out of student demand, right? These courses would not have been offered if students didn't demand that they be offered and fight for them, sometimes, you know, putting their own academic um, careers in peril. And so that makes them very unique. That makes them very much related to the real world. And that makes them able to sort of sit within the academy and without the academy, and like outside the academy. So feminist studies very much is about thinking about and critiquing power structures. And those power structures impact our daily lives. They impact our experiences as workers, as teachers, as parents, as family members. Um, And so I think studying them, you know, helps us see the world, you know, I think more clearly, um, helps us appreciate diverse viewpoints and diverse experiences and ideally helps us to, you know, engage in transformation to create a more just world. So I think feminist studies, yeah, I think feminist studies like can help equip students to understand the role that race, class, gender, and sexuality have in their life um, to identify when those, you know, when those isms like racism or sexism are functioning um, and to inspire and hopefully equip them to to dismantle those inequalities. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, as a teacher or a, a professor of a gen- of a few gender studies classes, how has this Im- impacted your students? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess we'd have to ask my students, <laughs> but things that they tell me, um, I think, yeah, I think students appreciate sort of the experience that I mentioned, like being able to learn more about my own heritage um, and the experiences of of people like me in university was just empowering and eye-opening. I think my students have really appreciated that, um, you know, having been denied that. And then also for, you know, for my white students, my white students are often quite transformed um, and often actually quite angry once they learn more about Latinx studies and, and Latinx histories and cultures in the United States feeling, they often feel like these are histories um, that were denied them. You know, they often feel like they they were not given, you know, the full information about this nation and, and race relations. Um, 
So I think we get better perspectives on the United States. I think we get better perspectives on ourselves. Um, again, I think this question of sort of affirming the experiences of students of color and Latinx students is very important, empowering them. Um, yeah, and I guess the last thing I'll say is I'm a literature teacher specifically, and so I think literature is is beautiful. And I and I also, you know, we also spend time like reading poems because they make us cry or they make us happy or they make us sad. And it doesn't necessarily have to sort of teach us something, right? But it can make us feel something. And I think that can also be, um, you know, it can be transformative, but it can also just be enjoyable. Okay. And so going off of the, the studies and the literature, so in the nonprofit world, this makes sense. We can make a greater impact, but say, in another job where it's not so impactful, like at least the thinking of it isn't, how does this, how do these things um, create change for gender equality or racial equality? Yeah, I think it's not, um, the impact can be, I think, as you mentioned, like maybe like one or two steps down the line, right? Or maybe four or five steps down the line that we don't necessarily see it. So. I think students that I work with often, I think, take a certain perspective around gender inequality and racial inequality with them. Mm -hmm. And they can, you know, try to enact that in whatever work they do. So students that I, I mean, some sort of more direct line of work, some people work um, within the field of advocacy um, in terms of combating violence against women. So people work, um, students who, you know, take classes with me or, or major in women's and gender studies might work for a rape crisis center. They might work for, um, a domestic violence, um, you know, an organization that's combating and, and, and serving survivors of domestic violence. So those are sort of, I think, direct ways of taking these courses um, with them um, and trying to, you know, have an impact on the world. Um, but other people, you know, go to law school or go to med school. And again, I, you know, you can think about somebody being in med school and trying to be, at be attuned to inequality, by trying to be attuned to the fact that maternal mortality is, you know, totally determined, you know, largely determined by, by questions of race and class. Um, so just trying to, you know, find and, and understand and see inequality wherever it's functioning, whether that be in, in healthcare or whether that be in economics um, or, you know, the environmental world, and then trying to take steps to combat it. So those are ways I think people can take gender studies with them in, in whatever field they pursue. That's actually a lot more applicable than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah, I, I could I could probably go on, you know, think of more examples. <laughs> As someone that wants to major in gender studies in university, what do you think I can expect? Um, I think you can expect a lot of diversity, actually. So women's and gender studies is a we call it an interdisciplinary field, which means that um, it has you know, people who sort of teach women's and gender studies or research women's and gender studies are oftentimes specialists in political science, maybe. So maybe they study, you know, the impact of race and gender in um, local elections or in state elections. Um, or sometimes they're literature professors like me who's, who teach literature written um, by women or literature written by um, trans or LGBTQ folks. Um, but you might also find people who are historians. So historians are obviously, you know, going to pay more attention to um, you know, women's history or, or, or gendered history. Um, so I would say you can expect that. So you can expect to be studying questions of race, class, and gender 
from many different perspectives, not just from one. And I think that makes it unique. Um, I think you can expect, you know, maybe to have some of your own ideas challenged. Um, I think you can expect to be asked to engage in self-reflection. I think that's also another really unique thing about women's and gender studies that we are part of the classroom. We're not, we don't pretend that we are, and I bet by me, by we, I mean, you know, students and teachers, we don't pretend that we're like objective observers that, that don't, you know, have opinions that aren't impacted, but that we are actually, um, you know, part of what we're studying and that our own experiences impact how we interpret a book or how we interpret a movie. And so you can expect to be, you know, to talk about that um, and maybe question it. So, yeah, I would say, you know, diversity of disciplines, um, engaging in self-reflection and maybe having some of your own ideas um, or beliefs challenged. I think not only that, but also the peers around me. So we all know that when you go to university, you have all this different group of peers. It's very diverse. And so with this comes diverse ideas. And then it can all, I guess, um, I guess collaborate in the end because it's interdisciplinary. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess I think that's a great point. So I think to learn from your peers, um, a lot of women's and gender studies classrooms you know, our, our seminars are discussion-based, so they're not necessarily a professor lecturing at you for hours, but you can be expected to, you know, be asked to participate and then to learn from your peers. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool because not only can you learn from their ideas, but also their experiences, and then you could even apply that to your own life with going back to, say, the impact and, exactly. for example, in the medical field, you can learn from, say, a minority's um, experience, and you apply that. So that's pretty interesting indeed. Do you have anything else that you would like to mention? Um, I guess the last thing I would mention, hopefully, you know, studying gender studies in university is also fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> that hopefully it's, it's enjoyable and interesting. I think that gets back to sort of like the real world applications. I think people appreciate and enjoy studying things that they feel are applicable to their life. Um, and so, yeah, I think just like the relevancy factor can tend to keep people interested. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And then not only that, but if you study and say anything you want, like um, you can take a few classes of it, even if you're not gonna major in it like me. So that's pretty cool. And then um, I might even take a few, um, what are they called? Literature classes, you know, <laughs> majoring in gender studies, but I still think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you might find overlap, right? So you might, you know, you could take a, an LGBT literature course or a women's literature course. So it would be both. Okay. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. That's really cool. I did not know that. Yep. Well, thank you so much for um, inviting me to speak with you. Well, thank you. I really appreciated the conversation. And I will post your information at the bottom of the description box so that my viewers can see it if they'd like to check out your content. And thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. All right. Send me, if you send me the link, I'll, I'll put it out on Twitter. Okay, cool. Thank you. Okay, Joshua. Have a good afternoon. You too. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, Dr. Vahil. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. A 
wanted to mention that we're going back at it again with the interviews. I know you guys are most excited to hear the interviews. Those are the most popular on my podcast. And yeah, stay tuned because we've got more coming up pretty soon. Brief moment, but I wanted to mention that this episode was produced a little bit later than usual, the 8 a.m. on Monday mornings. And that's because I had some other episodes that I wanted to do and I ended up creating them, but I wasn't like too interested in making them. They were kind of lame, my own idea. So I was like, okay, they're not bad, but I don't really sound like I want to do this in the future. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just not going to do the episode. So yeah, I don't know what time this episode is coming out, but I'm trying to get another episode uh, during the usual time for the next one. So thanks. Thanks again for tuning into the podcast and listening. If you enjoy this content, make sure to give it a review so others could possibly find out about the podcast. If you would like to see some other content or would like to join the discussion on anything you would like to talk about, make sure to join the Discord server posted in the description. See you next time.